0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: And welcome back to the second hour of The Food Show. My name is Don Clement sitting in for the one and only Mr. Food, Tom Fitzmorris, and his lovely sidekick, Marianne. Very happy to be here. It's a gloomy day here in New Orleans. And uh, I tell you, I could really use a hot bowl of death by gumbo from my next guest. That would really sit very, very well right now. Uh, I can tell you, I am very, very pleased to be able to announce our next guest, Mr. John Fulce. He's a chef. He's a restaurant owner. He's an author. He's a television host. And he is definitely, definitely, undisputably the leading authority on Cajun and Creole cuisine and culture in Louisiana. Chef John Fulce, how are you, sir? Uh,
0: I'm doing really well, Don, and uh, thank you so much for having me on the show. What a nice introduction. I appreciate that so much. Nice to be with you.
1: Well, I meant every word of it, sir. It's You know, (laughs) in in trying to figure out what to ask you, it's like he has done so many things. It's just hard to narrow down. But before we get started, I do, sir, want to be one of the first on behalf of myself, on behalf of the Food Show, it, to congratulate you uh, on your next uh, on your next award, uh, Chef John Fulce has been named by the New Orleans Food and Wine Experience as the 2020 recipient of the Ella Brennan Lifetime Achievement and Hospitality Award. Congratulations, sir.
0: Well, thank you so much. And what an, uh, what an honor that is. Uh, when you think of the name, uh, the names of the people who have uh, received that award over the years— uh, Remember with us, of, of course, Alapram and Paul Perdoma could keep going on. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, uh, it's just, uh, uh, just to be honored in that group is, uh, is incredible. And uh, to think back on your restaurant career and starting off in Cajun and Cajun country and uh, to, to be amongst that group and being honored by him and recognized by him is just uh, an incredible, incredible honor. So I'm very humbled by it
1: well and and just just so everyone knows uh, you know take a look at it at nofee.com. dot com you can get the details, but this is not of course just for somebody who 's great in hospitality. this is for these awards are given to people who bring something uh, to Louisiana and to the community, and that 's definitely something that you 've done, and you are in great company. I mean, some of the people you missed were we we're with Chef, we're chef uh, Leah uh, Chase, of course, uh, Ralph Brennan, even Mark Romig uh, for what he did, Emerald Lagasse. So you're in some great company there. So we're very, uh, <laughs> very proud of you, sir. Very proud of you.
0: Well, I thank, I thank you so much for that. And, uh, and you know, whenever you're recognized for any award, you're grateful. <clears throat> and uh, and of course, when you look back at the at the folks uh, that you just named to receive that that honor, you wonder how in the world did they choose you to be a part of that team. But uh, but it's a great honor, and uh, and as I mentioned, it's a it's a it's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to to thank the thank the public and to thank all of those who recognize me for that award. So I appreciate it so much.
1: You're most welcome. And and so, chef, you have done so many things, and uh, it, one of the things that really interests me about you is you're you're always coming up with something new. You're you're always reinventing yourself in a way. I mean. One of the things that I'm most interested in currently, of course, is false market at the airport. And it's it's high time that we have quality food in an airport, in our airport, in this great city. So tell me a little about what which, what do you have going on down there? What's cooking?
0: Uh, well, first of all, uh, I think you're right. I mean, New Orleans has certainly done it right to choose food. Uh, to choose New Orleans' finest culinarians, and uh, uh, I mean, from pastry chefs to, uh, to, to the iconic restaurateurs uh, of New Orleans. Every one of these kiosks represent the best of what people come to New Orleans for. And just to be, uh, uh, again, uh, in that number that, uh, that Delaware and North and, uh, and uh, uh, Host has uh, uh, chosen, that group of, of chefs to open restaurants, you mentioned Leah, uh, Dookie, uh, all of that group, um, it, it, it's incredible, and they came to me to ask that I, I, I design and build and operate a truly uh, a unique and interesting Cajun and Creole restaurant, and, and a restaurant that would feature the iconic foods that people read about, uh, that people hear about, and may not have uh, have tried from the étouffée to the uh, to the Cubillons, to the to, to, to the greatest of all the different po'boys that they Bar, these these kind of things that they read about, now they have an opportunity to not only stop by Falls Market and uh, and, and get all the different gumbos and the soups that they read about, but at the same time being able to walk past Falls Market and see every iconic name in uh, New Orleans Restaurant <clears throat> Touring, also being able to uh, sample bag dishes as well. And I tell you, what they've done is incredible. No other airport in America or uh, I doubt the world has Showcased and focused of uh, the foods of the great chefs of uh, their area, so you can imagine that. Uh, in fact, I just left the airport a minute ago. I walked through just to shake hands with a few of the folks, take a few pictures while I was in the uh, uh, in my market. But uh, but but truly, a great honor to be asked to create uh, a restaurant in in the airport. And, uh, and believe me, it's one of a the, all the restaurants there make the food courts of uh, of, uh, of uh, the airport uh, one of a kind, in my opinion, traveling as much as we do. I've never seen that many iconic restaurants uh, or restaurants in one city represented at one airport, In and uh, they've done it here in New Orleans. Very proud of being a part of
1: that. Well, I, I have a trip scheduled uh, December second, so my wife and I are excited to uh, get there early and make sure we can sample as much of uh, what it has to offer. So we're looking very forward to that.
0: Mm-hmm. So well, you, oh, you're, you're going to have it all. That's for sure it's all well, day.
1: Let me ask you, Chef: Is this a sit-down concept restaurant, or
0: it is? Mine is a. Uh, there's a lot of kiosks there that you can just walk up and and uh, and get a bite and keep walking. Up. I mean, uh, uh, Bokavis has a really beautiful uh, uh, display of all of their desserts, and uh, you can get all of their iconic uh, uh, sweets there. But my restaurant is full-service. It's a full-seated uh, uh, restaurant. You, you actually walk oh, through a service line with the cast-iron pots, and in those pots you can choose from, from the, as I mentioned, uh, two or three different gumbos, two or three different soups. You can certainly get all of the... Uh, Uh, The dishes uh, you you expect, like the jambalaya, like the the crawfish etouffee, uh, 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 and then all of the different sandwiches in pro bars, Mm -hmm. uh, salads. We have a full bar in there. There's really nothing missing. If you think of coming to sit at one of my restaurants uh, Mm -hmm. and have a seat and pick up the menu, chances are pretty good if it's from Cajun and Creole country, it's going to be somewhere on that menu. It's a full-service menu, and I'm I'm in Concourse C. Okay. And it's one that's right near Delta and Spirit Airlines, so of course it's very busy there. Sure. Uh, but but it's a grab and go as well. So so uh, yes, it's full service, sit down. It's beautifully designed, and I and I look forward to seeing people as they come through and say hello, uh, as we've been doing for the last week.
1: Well, it's high time that a world class city got a world class airport. So uh, we're we're very very excited about that.
0: Well, in world-class food as well. Yes, it's, uh, it's, definitely. it's so interesting to walk and see the names on these uh, uh, on these restaurants and, and to believe that you can taste their food in the airport. It's really, really wonderful.
1: So did I read, Chef, that you now started a rum distillery at White Oak?
0: <laughs> <laughs> did
1: I read that right? You
0: read that right. Uh, uh, at White. Uh, you know, at White Oak Estate uh, in our gardens in Baton Rouge, yeah. Uh, I wanted uh, that, that facility to, to represent uh, the, the economy of the 1800s. What were people doing back then? Uh, where were they making money if they weren't sugarcane farmers or if they weren't working in sawmills or whatever? They, they were doing trapping for cars as my dad did back in the, in the 1800s. Uh, uh, you know, they would have been working on these estates or plantations, and they would have been grinding grain and milling grits, and they would have been mm-hmm. naturally uh, um, making bourbon and making uh, a rum. And so as I built, uh, as I continued to build up uh, White Oak Estate, I decided that the, one of the last things I really needed to do was to build a full-service full distillery. So I, I wow. did. I built the distillery about a year ago. Uh, and I'm producing bourbon and uh rum under the still water label, and it's all in barrels now, so I don't want anybody going going to look for it it's uh I'm putting it all in beautiful oak barrels and aging it for a couple of years so uh so we're often running into distillery i I'm proud to say we have some really great great uh mm-hmm. product coming out of that and when people do come to White oak, I might even give them a little sip of oh, it hello.
1: A little sample of it. I, I, look, I love rum, but I'm, I'm really a, a bourbon drinker. So that's Stillwater is the name of the label. And eventually, when it's aged, that's going to be available commercially here?
0: Uh, uh, right. And, uh, and uh, uh, Stillwater's uh, the bourbon is, uh, is a four-grain uh, bourbon. So okay. uh, it's, uh, it's a little bit uh, different from three-grain bourbon, uh, bourbons out there. And I, and I am putting it in charred uh, of French oak barrels. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so it's, uh, and it's coming along really uh, really great. I, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a big drinker myself. Uh, so I have a couple of people who really know their rum and know their bourbon to come in gotcha. to help me with it, and it's uh, in between. Really so I welcome you to come in and take a sample, take a sip.
1: I, I will de- look. I could definitely use a sip today as I look out this window. It's 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 not a pretty thing. That would warm you up for sure.
0: It's bourbon weather. It's bourbon weather.
1: It is outside. bourbon. Bourbon and death by gumbo uh, weather. I can tell you, we we have a uh, we have a mutual friend. You mentioned uh, sugar cane, cane farmer, and uh, just by happenstance, we have a mutual friend in uh, St James Parish.
0: Yes, who's that? I'm
1: I'm Mr. Frank Sotil and his wife Cherie. Oh.
0: oh my god, of course I know. I know the Sotil's really, really well. I mean what a big what a big uh uh, uh family too. The Sotils are a huge family in Donaldsonville. Um uh, been there for quite a while and certainly we all know them. So, yeah, they're not, yeah they're not they're
1: not. Good, good they're nice folks. They actually have a second home in the building where we live uh, on Julia, so we've got to be really good friends with them. And he speaks very highly of you as well. So just had well, to I drop that. Them. So chef, we you know, the hosting, the television shows, and every, the the thing that I love most that you have produced would have to be, You can't call them cookbooks. They're compendiums. They're encyclopedias. They're just beautiful. And when I read them, especially my favorite is the Encyclopedia of Cajun and Creole Cuisine. When I read that massive, it's over 850 page book. I mean, I've I've literally sat down and read it as a book and that's how you've written it. It's not a cookbook. It's a beautiful
0: book. Well, I mean that's uh, that's extremely uh, uh, nice, uh, nice of you to say that. It's yeah. the truth. Uh, it is. Uh, it is. And Michelle Yark, uh, who's been working uh, alongside me, I would say working for me, but it's uh, I think I worked for Michelle Yark. You know? <laughs> uh, but she's a, uh, uh, but uh, she's a uh, vice president of marketing power company. But but she's also one of the most unbelievable researchers and and writers. And I've been lucky to have her on staff over twenty years. And uh, she and I was sit- sitting down kinda uh, to be honest, we were sitting down kind of going through the old time speaking book cookbook mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> a few uh, many years ago and uh we got a- got into a conversation about you know this book was written a hundred years ago and it was uh edited kind of kind of kind of uh, uh updated a little bit. I think Marcel Bienvenue and a couple of folks worked on a on a great updating of the book and I guess we were talking in the- in our office about what's next and uh telling the story uh, that preserves the history of our cuisine and culture. And as we sat and chatted about that, we said, well, why not pick up where the times Picayune book left off? Why don't we go back and pick it up there and retell the, the modern story? And that's that's kind of where uh, uh, the, the base of, uh, uh, of that uh, thought, that little seed that was planted that we should do an encyclopedia, that didn't compete with or compare to one of the greatest cookbooks ever written, the Times-Picillian cookbook. It really told the story of the foods of the 1800s and the early 1900s. And uh, so we decided that the Encyclopedia of Cajun Creole Cuisine should begin somewhere back there in Catch up to where we are today, and then eventually somebody would pick up where we left off as Louisiana cuisine and culture continued to develop and continued to evolve. So it was a uh, it was a process that took about five or six years. That was my question.
1: How long did that take?
0: Wow. Yeah, it took uh, it took about five or six years, far between the research, and of course you can see from the photography in sure. that it Uh, the photography we we had a full team of photographers a full team of editors uh we put the book together i did uh the recipe uh uh, selection and the recipe testing and uh, it became a labor of love for about five or six years and then of course the uh uh, the results uh, uh, kind of spoke to themselves. After that, the book became award-winning, and then we ended up being chosen as one of the premier cookbooks for culinary schools around the United States who wanted to have in their library uh, a book, a D-book on Cajun Creole cuisine. So it's been uh, it's been wonderful. And then, of course, from that uh, came the, uh, the desire to continue with the big book series to record, mm-hmm. Uh, the additional histories that uh in food you know from uh, from wild game and hunting in louisiana to fishing in louisiana to vegetables and now we have four books in the big book series so um, yeah it's a lot of work but it's been a lot of fun and uh, and oh. it was hoping I ju- just hoping that it would continue to uh showcase the growth of a louisiana cuisine
1: well they they are beautiful books chef i do have to go to a break do you have time to hang on with us Sure, sure. All right, no perfect. Problem. Let's go to a break. You're listening to The Food Show at 105.3 FM, HD 2 WWL. And welcome back to The Food Show. We are talking to uh, to John Fulce. Chef John Fulce here today was happy. was We were lucky enough to get him on the show. Uh, Chef, we're talking about your book. And one thing that I took from the book, I, I love the stories about you and your mamare and the way you would pull up a chair and she would teach you how to cook. And I tell you, I'm a I'm a home cook and I'm, I'm a pretty good cook and I always made a roux, but the way your mmeur described making a roux, I started to do it, and I tell you what, it's perfect every time, and it takes about a quarter <laughs> of the time that I was doing making the roux the slow way, as I call
0: it. Right, exactly. Yeah, uh, you, you know, so many uh, so many people uh, when they talk to me about a roux. Uh, they talk about how long it takes to cook, and you want to do it long and slow, and you have to sl- start it re- really nice and uh, uh, and slow with that spoon. And and my grandmother used to uh, uh, said, say, you know, look, look, we don't have time out to, to sit at the stove all day long. We have <laughs> work to do. We have to go out. We have to to clean the chickens. We have to feed the birds, and we have to do the that. And all
1: right.
0: Uh, so so she she would say that uh the the, the the quickest thing in the world to do is a ruin. That is you bring your oil to the to the smoke point where you put your oil in the pot, you turn the fire on and you see that first little whiff of smoke that means that the oil has reached 375 degrees, and, you know, they would tell you this in by storytelling, you know, they said, now look at the pot, look at, the pot talks to you, you have to listen, you have to know the language of the pot. When you see that little shimmering of the oil and that little smoke, you know that the oil has gotten to 375, you throw your flour in right then, and then you stir like crazy. It's only going to take a couple of minutes to get the water out of the flour. Look at that steam shooting out of the top of the pot when you throw your flour into that hot oil now when you get the water out of that roux and the steam is gone then the flour is going to brown quickly so a roux that would take somebody 20 minutes to stir you'll have a perfect roux golden brown beautifully done in about uh, you know three to five minutes and then you just throw your onion celery bell pepper into it and that hot hot roux is going to caramelize the vegetables you know they would almost do it as a as a storytelling uh, process, you know, telling you the whys and the hows and what to look at as, and and you you never you never forgot it. So mm-hmm. so so many years later, I still remember her telling me these little steps in cooking that uh, that I I use today, and I even use in training my own staff today. Procedures and techniques that were shared by me uh, to me with a grandmother sixty, seventy years ago. I mean, it's incredible to think. How smart these people were and how much they could teach us if we only sat and listened, you know, so so I'm glad you do. I'm glad you you take my grandmother's
1: technique. <laughs> it was it was absolute perfect. And like you said, it took a matter of minutes rather than I'm sitting there for 30 minutes like I'm crazy starring the roux, starring the roux, starring the roux. And yeah. let me is that, Chef, where your storytelling came from? Was it was it your ma
0: well, well, you know, uh, uh, Don. I, I, I think uh, you know these these uh, uh, these conversations around the kitchen table, or conversations on the rocking chairs on the front porch. I remember my grandmother and my great aunt would sit there saying the rosary. They would say that rosary on the front mm-hmm. porch, and they would rock and they would say that rosary in French. And uh, we would all sit around the porch as kids, because my mother died when I was real young. And my dad never remarried, so, so my, my grandmother was kind of the source of, uh, uh, and also Mary Fascio, who I know you, you know I write yes. about quite often, mm-hmm. African-American, the African-American mother that actually raised all eight of us and taught us how to cook. But it was the storytelling, the verbal uh, education that they would, uh, they, they, there was a lot of time then to sit on the step and they would tell stories about how they cook things and how long to cook things and how to pick out the best chicken in the in the chicken yard uh, how did you uh, they, they would teach you these things and you and we never forgot them and i still use every one of those and i, I was at my culinary school at nickel state this morning um uh, where I, you know i had almost uh you uh, know 30 something students in the classroom, and I, I and and I love just to get their attention by telling them a story. The minute I start to tell them a story, they all get quiet and look up to hear that story because it's always a culinary discussion that they'll never forget. I want them to remember things like I remember things from uh, from my grandmother. So yeah, you're right, Don. It's all about the storytelling in Cajun country, handing down those stories, and I'm doing it today in my professional. Kitchen, uh, kitchen at the culinary school at Nichols. Storytelling to to rem- remember the process. You
1: know, you know, you, you mentioned you mentioned the culinary school at Nichols. I, I have a friend whose daughter uh, is actually uh, getting ready to graduate from your culinary school, uh, Peyton Boudreau.
0: Oh wow, Absol- yeah. absolutely! We we have such an unbelievable program over there. We have about three hundred students from all over the United States. Uh, uh, it, it, it's a the only four year college degree in cooking in the United Amazing. States. If you want to get, if you want to get a bachelor of science in culinary arts, you have to come to Nickel State University to it's do fantastic. it. And, uh, and I, I mean, to think that we in Louisiana had that golden opportunity to take advantage of uh, the Department of Education's uh, uh, desire to do something like this on a public university campus uh, was incredible. We have our brand new building there now, our a multi. Billion-dollar culinary center that's uh, uh and I, I like i say i was there this morning at seven o'clock uh in the, in the kitchens with my students and and uh it's a pleasure to be with them and to see the excitement when you walk in the room you don't know
1: well, well well clearly there's no better there's, no, there's no there's no better place to have this school but here and and you know that's an awesome i do have a caller on the phone chef i'm not sure if victoria has a question for you uh let me patch in victoria and see if she's got a question Victoria, welcome to the Food Show. Hi. Hello, how are you?
0: I'm good, how are you? I am
1: fantastic, just sitting here chatting with uh, Chef John
0: Fulce. Hi, Chef. How, how are you doing? Nice to talk to you, Victoria. Good to talk to you. I do have a question for you both. Um this is always a little bit of a dispute in my household when it, um, the holidays roll around. Um, I um, was wondering if you prefer to make your mashed potatoes with or without the skins. Well, you, uh, I'll go first. Uh, <laughs> uh, you, can, you can do it either way. You, you, you find uh, mashed potatoes nowadays in uh, in, uh uh, you go through lines and restaurants, or uh, you go through some of the uh, uh, the cafeterias or whatever, and, and you see that there's uh, uh, mashed potatoes, creamy mashed potatoes that has the skin because the skin is edible. Uh, traditionally, the mashed potatoes do not have skins uh, because uh, people want that nice creamy white uh, look to the to, to the potato, but the skins have texture. Uh, there's a, uh, you kind of gives you a little chew. The mashed potatoes nice and smooth and creamy, whereas the skin allows you to kind of chew on them a little bit. So there's no right or wrong, Joe. It just depends what you're looking for. I would recommend that you do some mashed potatoes with in the house and,
1: uh, and see that, uh, how that works. Well, you know, do you, thank you. <laughs> you know, Chef, in my house, the pota- the mashed potatoes are naked. No skins. No skins.
0: I think in most houses (laughs) they are.
1: That's just me. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for calling, Victoria. We appreciate it. So, Chef, I am a, a very, you know, I live right here in New Orleans, and I am a big, big fan of Restaurant Revolution. I have been from the start. And uh, one of the things that made it so great for us from the beginning, I, I talked earlier in the show before you joined about relationships with a restaurant. And when you form a relationship with a restaurant, it changes your entire experience. And, and we did that with, uh, with several of your people over at Revolution. They're great. Uh, one of them was uh, Sam, uh, who was our right. server. And she took excellent, excellent care of us for years. We've had parties there. I, I've got to ask this question because every time I walk in, I think this. When I'm sitting in the main dining room, was that designed to look like San Francisco Plantation, or is that just me?
0: Um, well, I, I mean, it's a, it's a good point because San Francisco does have those beautiful, uh, they do have those beautiful murals on right. the wall that were painted so many years ago. Uh, that, that that really wasn't the idea when we did it. However, many, many of these uh, 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 just really beautiful uh, uh, Cajun and, uh, well, let me say Creole Plantations and Many Cajun homes uh, did have uh, paintings on the wall like that, because remember it was part of the decor part of the, the decoration of the mm-hmm. day that they would uh, if uh, somebody in the family painted, they would definitely decorate uh, their homes that way but uh, what I wanted to do was to uh showcase the seven nations that founded louisiana 's cuisine and culture beginning with the Native Americans and ending with the uh, Africans after uh, the uh, uh, after the Civil War. Uh, and each one of the corners in, the, in Storyville is uh, the beautiful uh, paintings of each one of those seven nations, uh, you know. so uh, And it, that, that, that's been a hit ever since uh, the restaurant opened, especially for visitors outside of the city who doesn't quite realize what Cajun means, what mm-hmm. Creole means to be able to see those murals on the wall and have our waitstaff, who are so well trained, to be able to take them on that little visual journey around Storyville to show the Native Americans giving the corn to the French and the Spanish taking over Louisiana and then leading the Arcadians and all the way around the room to the English and the Germans and of course the Africans and the uh, uh, Sicilians. So it's a great, great way to showcase the history of Louisiana cuisine by looking at those murals. And I'm really happy that you mentioned them because uh, they're certainly one of the, one of the favorite uh, 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 parts of the decor as far as I'm concerned.
1: Well, it, it, it's absolutely a beautiful restaurant. One of the, the favorite things, and this is going to make you laugh, my wife and my two daughters actually love the fact that you have purse stools in the restaurant. <laughs> and chef, if you knew what I paid for these purses, I'm happy you have purse stools for these purses. Okay?
0: Uh, yeah, uh, people, you know it was it was it was funny when we decided to put the purse stools in the restaurant so that ladies could put their handbags on a nice little. tuft uh, a a stool on the floor rather than putting that beautiful handbags on the floor. Uh, And then we did the same thing in the restrooms where you, you uh, in each one of the stalls, there was a little purse stool. Well, I didn't uh, know about that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, people would come in and say, "What are those little bit stools for?" Is that for the children? I said, "No, no, that's, that's for your purse. That's that's, right. That is for but your it's, purse." You know, it's, those, it's those little amenities, I think, that really sure. make revolution special. You know, from the from the special china that we had designed to the glassware to the artwork to the fact that each dining room represents one of the different nations of uh, Louisiana. It reflects the menu. A revolution has been just a, a pride and joy of ours. It's a it's exceeded every uh, just uh, every mark that we put from from sales to to covers to uh, to national media. It, it's just been a great great gift to to, to us, and I, and I really thank our customers who who just are really uh, just just come and sit in those chairs. I'm, they need to know how much we appreciate them choosing us. There's so many great restaurants in New Orleans, so. Uh, so we don't take any of them uh, for granted. Right? We I, well, know how much we appreciate.
1: It. You know, I, I, you've only been here seven years. And, you know, when you think of a Grand Dame restaurant, of course, you feel you, you start thinking of old line restaurants. But I'm telling you, when I'm in your restaurant, I feel like I'm eating in a Grand Dame restaurant, like something that has been here for decades. And yet the food... While it has the Creole and, you know, all the flavors that you have in the traditional, the Death by Gumbo, the turtle soup, you've still got that little twist. You know, you've got those beer-battered crab beignets that are just so delicious. And I do have to say, because we've been there, again, dozens of times, you absolutely have one of the best steaks in the city. But I hate to get the steak because I always want that, uh, the veal chop that veal chop that is like 3 feet wide when it gets to you you know so i'm like torn between so many things
0: well, well it it was a difficult task for us to put that menu together yeah. that's why we that's why we changed the menu four times a year it's awesome and uh, and, uh, and we're also, you know, uh, adding uh, these uh, uh, what I'll call specials, you know, uh, 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 every every week. We try to put new things on the menu because, I we sa- city like the, Chef, the- save
1: that thought. 06368. You were talking about the special menus uh, and the seasonal changes that you do. Do you do, why am I at a loss for words, Chef? Uh, the Revion. Do you do a Revion at, uh, at Revolution?
0: Um, uh, uh, yeah, we, uh, we we certainly do. Uh, we try to celebrate all of the different seasons of the year that the uh, that the early New Orleans going back to the founding of the city back in the, when the, the French arrived, and, the, and of course the Germans coming in in the seventeen, eighteen, seventeen, nineteen period. There were these holidays uh, like Revion, like the Awakening, you know, on the, on Christmas Eve and on New Year's Eve, and the foods that they serve. So we tried we try to make sure that the restaurant is much more than just a place to eat good food. We want people to come in and, and look around and reminisce about the history of the city, the uniqueness of the food, the presentation of the food. But that's that's as important to us as the quality of the food. We want to tell the story that that keeps our early New Orleans history alive there, you know, in food and service.
1: And the artifacts, the, the bar is, is is striking, especially done all in black. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, and, you know, you carry that through with the things you have on display in the bar. It, it truly is a little slice of almost history. Chef, we do have uh, someone calling us. We have a caller, Frank. How are you, Frank? Welcome to the food show. I'm
0: doing fine, Mr. Clement. And hello, Mr. Foss. Hello. Uh, how
2: are you doing, Franky?
0: I got several calls. Y'all talking about me in New Orleans. Oh,
1: Mister Sotiel, <laughs> Mister Sotiel, with us, <laughs> Chef, can, Chef. What do we have to do to twist uh, Frank Sotiel's arm to get him to come to that restaurant with me?
0: Well, I uh, look. Uh, all, all he's got to do is let me know when he wants to there get we in, go. and I'm gonna uh, and I'm gonna look, and I'm gonna cook a special recipe just for the just with the Sotiel's in mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we as we. As we speak, we're cutting sugar cane, and I'm smelling the aromas from your food plant here in Donaldsonville. <laughs> well, that's a, that's one of that that's one of the great uh, uh, great new uh, opportunities we have over the last twenty years uh, with our food manufacturing division, and it's right in the middle of the cane field. So whenever you're out there cutting or getting or loading up cane, we're sitting there boiling. Uh, uh, Brown sugar and creating Jack Daniels glazes for TGI Fridays. Uh, uh, so I'm I'm cooking sugar and you're cutting sugar cane. So that's a marriage made in heaven.
1: There's just sugar everywhere in Donaldsonville.
0: <laughs> well, y'all, I enjoyed I'm enjoying visiting with y'all. All
1: right, Mister Sotelo. Yes.
0: Thank you, thank you, Frank. Bye bye.
1: Yeah, we appreciate you. Thank you very much, Frank. Yeah, there seems like there's always something going on in the false world. I mean, like I said earlier, every time I turn around, I mean, you just, you just, you like a little Energizer Rabbit, sir. You just keep well, well, going. You know,
0: what well, our, our USDA food manufacturing division uh, was founded about 20 years ago, but now. It's expanded. I've built a new facility, the new USDA food facility, and uh, Donaldsonville, uh, you just mentioned, in the, in the cane fields. I did, uh, right in the middle of the cane fields at Donaldsonville, hoping to be able to hire a lot of those great workers from the area, mm-hmm. but we create, uh, we create uh, Louisiana food and foods to ship around the world. We ship to about eight countries around the world every single day out of Donaldsonville. Uh, we create food for all the different food companies. I create food for the new airport in New Orleans. So we're we're shipping out foods all over uh, from right in that food plant, and uh, and it's one of our great, great uh, uh, the one great side of our business. But our business is all food; it's just all different types. So,
1: so when you talk about that chef, are you actually are you like a co-packer, or are you cooking just your own products, or are you actually taking some? You create recipes for them, and then you make them.
0: Uh, well, companies from around the world will come to us. Uh, either they, they want, they, they need a sauce, or they need a soup, or they need an entree, or or they okay. or they have or they have a cheese sauce, or something that they put on on burgers or whatever. So they come to us for product development, for new products for their menu, and uh, and we create it. And, and my smallest kettle that I cook in is two tons. Oh wow! Uh, so I, so I can dump about ten tons of food every uh, every hour uh, in my sort of plant. So yeah, we, we cook food for companies all over. We create some of it and some other is their recipe. Okay, and uh, and we ship globally. That's one of our companies in Donaldsonville.
1: Yeah, my my grandmother used to love the uh, bittersweet uh, Creole cream cheese.
0: Oh, my God. That oh. was one of my favorites, too. That was one of my favorites. I still make cream cheese, but I make it for my bakery. I don't have it in retail anymore.
1: Oh, she used to just break off the heel of some French bread and pull out the uh, pull out a little <laughs> inside and just fill it up, and she would eat that like it was an ice cream cone.
0: <laughs> well, a lot of people don't remember Creole cream cheese, but I know Don Knights has it. Yes. And, uh... Couple other places, have it. I'm glad to see that uh, there's still still some Creole cream cheese in the in the marketplace.
1: Well, you know, and one of the, one of the great things you do, and I've touched on it on this show before, is that you, you keep you keep this alive, and it, it's what makes this state, it's what makes this region, it's what makes this city unique. And if we lose that, and we don't keep the storytelling aspect that you do so well, and that you share with so many people, then we're just going to be not us anymore.
0: Uh, well, you, you know, one of the greatest gifts I think I've been given is to bring Louisiana's great story of its food and its people globally. You know, I've opened my restaurant in eight countries. I, I opened in the Soviet Union uh, with Reagan and Gorbachev back in the 80s. So we, we opened our restaurant in Beijing. Uh I mean, we, we brought, we brought Louisiana cooking around the world and more so just because of the, how proud we are of the food and the people who created it. It's not about us. It's about the the, 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 great history and the great foundation we stand on. And we have to preserve it. We have to make sure just like in my culinary school today, as I was teaching, I'm there making sure that they never forget where our food and flavors come from, that, uh, You know, whether it's the African uh, cook, the black hand in the pot, as Leah Chase used to say, or our great German community in New New Orleans, uh, the Spaniards down in St. Bernard Parish. I mean, my God, we have something nobody else in the world has, and we must preserve it. And that's, that's my goal every day is to make sure that we never forget where our great food and culture comes from.
1: You're right. We can't forget. One of the things, you know, I I had some things that you just mentioned on my list, but uh, one of the things that really stuck out to me when I was going through your biography is that you were the first non-Italian chef to create the Vatican State Dinner in Rome, correct?
0: Right. I I was invited to Rome to do the Vatican State Dinner for Pope John Paul II. Who is now a saint? By the way, I, yes. I jokingly, I jokingly, uh, tell my wife, I said, look, don't don't fuss at me about picking up my dirty clothes over here. I said, I've cooked for a saint. <laughs> <laughs> you have. Uh, said, so Pope John. Pope, yeah, I was very fortunate. I was invited to Rome to do a Vatican State Dinner, and after wow. the dinner, uh, after the dinner, I was invited to Castel Gandolfo, the uh, summer home of the Pope, mm-hmm. where he does his uh his private residence outside of Rome. And I, I was able to go to Gandolfo and have Sunday Mass with him there. And oh, wow. uh, it was the most, I, I can say, the, more, the greatest experience of my life. Uh, nothing will ever uh, uh, cap that, uh, that experience, just to be there with the Holy Father. And now, as I say, he's a saint. Uh, and to think that I've, I had the opportunity and the gift to be able to say I cooked for a, uh, for a living saint. So uh, what, what a yeah. pleasure that was.
1: So, you know, when you look back over your life, I mean, we've discussed, like I said, we have just touched on a few of the highlights of what you've done. You've done so many things. When you look back over your life and you think of being that little boy next to that stove with your mare, could you have ever imagined the things you would do and the experiences you would have?
0: Uh, well, you know, I don't think anybody can plan uh, their mm-hmm. lives uh, uh, out the way uh, we would love it to be. But uh, but when I look back on my life and think that I didn't plan it that way, but it, I, I, I look at it as a gift from God, really, uh, to be able to have done the things I've done, to open my restaurant in eight countries of the world, to feed the Holy Father in Rome, uh, to send food to space, uh Uh, to write cookbooks, television shows, a culinary school named in my honor, uh, a food plant that ships food globally every single day, a fine restaurant in the center of of New Orleans French Quarter. I I look back and I say, my God, how could that have happened, coming from the swamplands of Louisiana, not really having a— an upbringing in uh, in anything but a black iron pot. How did it all happen? And and you know I, I I really can't figure it out. I just thank God every day for the for the for the great gifts He's given me and the opportunities He's given me to share our great Louisiana story uh, with the world. And uh, and at the end of the day, that's really all I want on my tombstone. He shared Louisiana's culture and food with the world. So that's all I care about.
1: Well, I think I kind of hear like a John Fols biography. Be coming out, huh? Maybe, maybe we <laughs> well, should think uh, about that.
0: No, well, my team's after me all the time, but I said, "Well, I'm still a young man at 73." I said, "I'm going to wait till I get to be about 91 <laughs> before I start worrying." About it. I said, "I have a lot of story left to tell." There you go,
1: a lot, a lot of story left to create, and you know, <laughs> no, I, I agree. But it, it would be it would be a great book to read. I could tell you that. And you know, just talking to you, I'm just thinking. Uh, I think I need to go sneak down and get some of that gumbo tonight.
0: And you know, Well, you can, uh, you can go to the restaurant or you can go to the airport. You can, uh, I, I'm doing death by gumbo down there, too. It,
1: it's, and, you know, the dish is so beautiful because it comes to you and it's so simple and you just see this little quail and this little empty dish and there's really not anything there. And then they pour that wonderful, uh, you know, the, the gumbo base, as I guess you would call it, around it.
0: Right, right, And then right, you're looking right.
1: like, okay, what is this? You know, the first time I had it. And then when you put that knife into, that, into the... Um, into it, and you cut it open, and that rice just spill Oh, it's, if you haven't had it, go get it.
0: You described it beautifully. You described it beautifully. That's, a, that's exactly what it is. It, uh, and one of, our, uh, one of the most written-about dishes on the menu nationally has been uh, death by gumbo. So... I'm happy that you mentioned, and I'm happy that you like it.
1: It's like a little stage show on your pl- on your table. It's just, it's like it's an interactive gumbo. It's just, it's it's great. It's great.
0: But, uh, and uh, and you know, uh, one other thing I, I want to say about before we uh, before we end, I don't want to forget to say just how proud I am to be one of the one of the many chefs who have uh, you know touched the, the the modern cuisine of of New Orleans with. Uh, with always remembering the past. And, I mean, we have so many great culinarians in the city, so many. We just lost Leah Chase, uh, yeah, Ella not uh, just, uh, just this past year. Uh, it makes me—it it reminds me of the unbelievable gift that God has given us in cooking and hospitality in New Orleans. And to think that— uh, he allowed me to be a small part of it. It's just really incredible. I just can't
1: thank him enough. Oh, You're, you're hardly a small part of it, sir. Uh, and it, it, this, this has been great uh, chatting with you and uh, learned a lot about you. So uh, I enjoyed it very much. And I'm telling you, if you haven't been to Revolution, guys, and this is not just some kind of hawk, I am telling you from personal experience, go. And get the Death by Gumbo and say, Don, thank you for sending me to get that gumbo. <laughs>
0: That's crazy. Stop at uh, stop at Seoul stop the airport. At the airport. That's too. right. The airport. don't have time to eat. Uh, they don't have time to eat, Just walk around the restaurant. It is beautiful.
1: And congrats again, sir, uh, for the Ella Brennan Legacy Award. Uh, you deserve it. Thank you. And everyone out there, take a look. Uh, maybe take a peek at the uh, gala. Go to nofi and you can see how to do that. Chef, thank you so much, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you, and happy Thanksgiving to all of you. Same to you, sir. Thank you for joining us. Bye bye. All right, guys, it is time for another break, and you are listening to The Food Show. <clears throat> and welcome back to The Food Show. I am Don Clements, sitting in for Mr. Food, Tom Fitzmorris. If you'd like to talk to us, please give us a shout, 260-6368. Tell us what is cooking today. That was a great interview with uh, Chef John Fulse. He's really got some good stuff going on. Uh, one of the things I failed to mention was he was actually... Um, appointed by the louisiana legislature and made chef the louisiana culinary ambassador to the world louisiana culinary event so we do have one more caller on steven how are you today sir
2: i'm doing good uh i heard you ask for me earlier so
1: i did um, i'm sorry we had chef come on so
2: i know that's all right sure uh yams are more fibrous and sweet potatoes, they okay. sort of have maybe a little bit of stringiness to them. Okay, not a lot, but there you could tell there's a, just a little really different texture between the two of them.
1: Is there a taste difference, Steven? Is one sweeter than the other?
2: Uh, I don't know. and I don't think if you blindfolded you and gave you the difference other than if you tasted the texture, the fiber part of it, um, uh sweet potato <clears throat> is more like a white potato, only sweet. Good. I mean the the texture of it texture are, are very similar.
1: Well, yeah. Kyle, I hope that answers your question, Stephen. I don't mean to cut you short, but I've got one more okay. call to get to you. Oh, never mind, he hung up, Stephen. Okay, you, you want to put up. me on
2: hold and talk to me afterwards?
1: Do I want to talk to you afterwards? Sure, but you can you can keep talking. I'm sorry, we lost the oh, other okay. call. I, I apologize okay. for
2: that. You know, being from the north. We use a lot of egg noodles rather than rice, but I've been having trouble finding flat egg noodles. I can find sort of the curly egg noodles. The broad I mean, noodles. in four broad. different grocery stores <clears throat> and haven't been able to find flat
1: noodles.
2: You know, noodles. So. have
1: you been to Dornax? Yes. Because if you go to Dornax, where they, I live in Dornax, okay, I've got a Dornax mm-hmm. problem. Yeah. I really like it. Okay. And yep. when you go to the, when you see all the commercially produced pasta, above it, they have this specialty pasta, and it'll be like in a clear bag, and they have some okay. green labels, pink labels, yellow labels. Yeah. I am pretty uh-huh. sure I saw some straight broad noodles in there.
2: Okay. Well, so, good.
1: Yeah. So take a look at that, and um, yams yeah. versus sweet... You know, fresh. I've never even seen them sold different. When I think yam, I always think of a yam in a can, and I always think yeah. of a sweet potato as being something fresh.
2: Yeah. Well, since we grow sweet potatoes down here, is a major vegetable here. So, True.
1: well, look, I, I I love them, and let me tell you, if it, I'm going back to being a gadget guy again, go back to that yeah. instant pot. If you put yeah. those sweet potatoes in an instant pot with one cup of water, and you yeah. let those suckers go for ten minutes. Mm-hmm. You will have the most tender, flavorful sweet potato ever. You don't heat up the house. Awesome way to cook.
2: Yeah, okay. Uh, also, I've got a question. I was thinking, I bought some stew meat the other day, uh-huh. and I was going to make a beef stew, and now I've sort of decided to make spaghetti sauce out of it. But uh, you know, I like meat sauce, but I've never made it with stew meat.
1: So, what kind? When you say stew meat, is it chuck? Is it what is it?
2: I think it's, it's what Walmart had as stew meat. It's, it's probably very good. I didn't see any fat on it whatsoever.
1: Yeah. It's got to be chuck. It's got to be chuck. It's got some fat in yep. it. And what I would do with that, and I've done it before, is take yeah, that yeah. chuck roast, leave it whole, flour it, season it, put some uh, garlic in the inside. I always put a little Italian seasoning on it, and then yeah. put that in a, you know, brown it off. Take it yeah, out. Yeah. Well, this
2: is the size of quarters already. Oh, it's cut already
1: up. well. Same same premise. Yeah. You just do it, yeah. brown it off, and yeah. um, and then just put your sauce on. Let that let that rip for three hours, and you're good. Stephen, thank yeah. you so much for calling in, and uh, okay. I, I appreciate you clearing up the yam sweet potato thing. So uh, okay. Thank you. All right. Thank so, you. Bye-bye. So, so Kyle, now you've got your answer on the sweet potatoes. You know whether it's sweet potatoes or it's yams. And actually, you know, the stew meat—I've done that a lot. Red gravy, stew meat, cook that for about three hours. I'm not sure I'd serve the rice and peas with that, but you know, just
2: spaghetti. Th- spaghetti,
1: yeah. Spaghetti, or do you like uh, thin angel hair?
2: Thin angel hair, me personally.
1: Thin angel. You see, yeah. my wife does too. I just really, really <laughs> like that the texture of the uh, of the spaghetti. But you know, that's why there's more than one flavor spaghetti of spaghetti. Is cream. too thick. that's what she says, too. It's Mm -hmm. too thick. I don't know. It holds more sauce, I find. I like that bite. I like that little chew to it. Well, it has been fun. And I thank all the callers, Chef John Fulce. I really, really appreciate you being with us. And uh, everybody, have a great Thanksgiving. And you've been listening to The Food Show at 105.3 FM HD2WWL in New Orleans. Happy Thanksgiving.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive
1: Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy,